Got some good news for you this morning. This is the moment you've been waiting for. You ready? You excited? I'm telling you, it's the moment you've been waiting for. Now, I have no idea how to deliver on that promise. Because I don't know what that moment is for you, and each of us have a different moment. For some of you, that moment was Friday. Because the moment you were waiting for was Star Wars, right? How many of you have already gone to see Star Wars? So some of you, it was the moment you were waiting for. Others, Friday was the moment you were waiting for, but for a different reason. It's Christmas break, right? Now, some of you are thinking about students. I'm thinking about teachers. They're the ones that were waiting for that moment, right? Jill Martin, right? Amen? All right. But we all have these moments that we're waiting for, and they're different for different people. Some are engaged, waiting for that moment when they'll be married. It's a moment they've been waiting for. Some are married and they're waiting for that day when their first child is born. It's a moment that they are waiting for. Some have graduated and they're waiting for that moment to begin their career. Some have had a long career and are waiting for that moment of retirement. Each of us have different moments and each season in life brings different things that we anticipate, that we are looking forward to. And so, as we come together this morning, I want to just ask ourselves, what is that moment that we're waiting for? Because we're going to learn about a man this morning named Simeon, who had a moment that he had been waiting for. It it was a moment that he anticipated based on a, a promise that God had given to him, that he would not die until he saw the day of the Lord's salvation. That was the day, the moment that he was waiting for. And all of life centered on the anticipation of that day. And that's the moment that we're going to look at this morning. So before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, as we come to you this morning, we know that there are different circumstances that surround each of our lives. For some of us, we come with great joy. For some sadness for some we are anticipating good things for others um, discouraged by some hard things but when we come together this morning i pray that we can fix our eyes on jesus that we can look at that moment in history when you came as the promise fulfilled to bring redemption to the world and May that moment transform any of the circumstances that surround each of us individually this morning. May it be a moment that our hearts truly long for, live for, and exist because of. That's our prayer. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you would turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And if you would follow along with me, this is the account of uh, Simeon. We've been looking at the birth announcements of Jesus. And so these are the, this will be the third one that we've looked at. We've seen the birth announcement given to Mary, to Joseph, and now a man named Simeon. So if you would follow along, Luke chapter 2, verse 21. It said, And when eight days were completed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel, before he was conceived in the womb. 
And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it was written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of two turtle doves and two young pigeons. Well, it's clear from this early account that Luke gives us that he wants us to understand that Jesus was raised according to the law. In this passage, as we will look at it, there are at least five different times that that is mentioned, connecting people's actions to something written in the law. According to the law, it tells us that that Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day. We know from Scripture that circumcision is that sign given to Abraham that set he and his people, the nation of the Jews, apart from all other people. It was based on that covenant promise that God made to Abraham when he said, I will make you a great nation. He said, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And from you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That was the covenant promise he made. And circumcision was a sign that set those people apart who believed in the faith and promise of that covenant. Set apart for a holy purpose according to God's promise. So as the law instructed, Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day. He was set apart, holy, for a purpose that God had intended. Also, in accordance to the law, we learn that Mary and Joseph and the family and Jesus came to Jerusalem to to offer a sacrifice. Now, this particular sacrifice was actually required of Mary specifically. And we know about that because of what was written in the law. The scripture tells us that. You don't need to turn there, but let me read to you what was written in the law that they're referring to in this sacrifice. You would find it in Leviticus chapter 12, and it says this. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying that when a woman gives birth and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean for seven days. And as in the days of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of the foreskin shall be circumcised. They fulfilled that according to the law. Then she shall remain in the blood of her purification for 33 days. She shall not touch any consecrated thing nor enter the sanctuary until the days of her purification are completed. And when the days of her purification are completed for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the doorway of the tent of meeting a one-year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or turtle dove for a sin offering. And he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her, and she shall be cleansed. This is the law for her who bears a child, whether male or female. But if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two young pigeons, the one for burnt offering and the other for a sin offering, and she shall offer these to the Lord so that she might be cleansed. That's the law that they were referring to, Luke was referring to in this passage when Mary and Joseph and Jesus made their way to Jerusalem. 
this particular sacrifice, as I mentioned, was required specifically of Mary, according to the law of Moses. She was required to present an offering to the priest as an atonement for sin. And because of Luke's account, we learn a couple of things about this sacrifice and what it meant. The first thing we learn is that Mary was obviously not sinless. Otherwise, she wouldn't need to offer the sacrifice, right? But because she was like all of us, needing to turn to God for forgiveness and the cleansing of sin, she offered the sacrifice. The second thing we learn is that Mary and Joseph were poor. I don't know if you picked up in that passage, but Leviticus gave instructions, and it actually said that you're supposed to offer a lamb as in a a sacrifice, an, an innocent lamb. But if you could not afford that, which some couldn't, you could offer two turtle doves, two young pigeons. And that's exactly what Mary offered. And so it tells us that they did not have a lot of money. They were poor. And even though it was a requirement for Mary, it's interesting that she was joined by Joseph and and Jesus. This was a family affair. It was something that they did together. It was something that they stood in obedience to the law with and for one another. It's obviously important. It was at this time that Jesus, as the firstborn son of Mary and Joseph, would be presented, set apart, holy to the Lord. Over and over, we see Luke making the point that they were faithful to live in accordance with the law. And I want you to understand why that's important. So if you would, turn to Galatians chapter 4. So after 1st and 2nd Corinthians, you'll run into Galatians, and I want you to turn to chapter 4, and look at chapter 4, verse 4 with me. This is why Luke was so particular to point out all the occasions in which Jesus and his family fulfilled the law. Verse 4, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, Born under the law. Why? In order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. You see, their obedience to the law was much bigger than just being a good Jew. Their obedience with the law was, it was necessary because unless Jesus completely fulfilled all that was written in the law, he could not redeem those who had broken it. And that includes me and you. You see, otherwise, it'd be like one criminal standing up to take the punishment for another criminal, which doesn't make sense because they're both guilty. They're both condemned by the law. The only way Jesus could take the punishment for our sins is if he was completely innocent. That's why John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming that day, he said, Behold! The Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. That's what Galatians is trying to teach us, that Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly. Why? So that His sacrifice on the cross would be perfect and acceptable to God for the forgiveness of sins. 
so that as many as receive Him and believe in that sacrifice, they might become children of God. By faith, adopted into God's family, set apart for a holy purpose as a part of God's chosen people. That's why it's so important to understand how Jesus fulfilled the law. You remember in his ministry, he even said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. In order that by being perfect, sinless, he might be the sacrifice that was necessary for the forgiveness of our sins, those who have broken it and stand guilty and condemned by it. That's why it's important. But look at how Luke continues in our account. So verse 25 in chapter 2, he says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see, the, see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms, blessed God, and said. Before we look at what Simeon said, I want us to understand a little bit about who Simeon is. We're introduced to him here in this passage and actually is the only place in Scripture that you will find anything about this man named Simeon. And so all we know from this account is that he was in Jerusalem, that he was righteous and devout, and that the Holy Spirit was upon him. And apparently that last part is really important. Because in these four verses, it is repeated three different times. It says the Holy Spirit was upon him. It said the Holy Spirit revealed to him. It said the Holy Spirit led him. So clearly, Simeon was a man who walked by the Spirit, trusted in the Lord. He was looking for the fulfillment of God's promise. Now, as I've thought through that this week, I wonder if Simeon maybe wasn't identified any more than this, because perhaps God wanted us to look at the life of Simeon and see that he was not that much different than you and I. Maybe Simeon is the example for average people like us to follow. Because if he was a priest, we could all say, well, that was a priest. I'm not a priest, so it doesn't really apply. If he was a prophet, we could say the same thing. Well, it, at least I'm not, I'm, I'm not a prophet, so it wouldn't apply. Or a king or a rabbi. No, this was Simeon, a devout and righteous man. He was in the temple expecting and anticipating the promise of God to be fulfilled fact is, Simeon was a man just like me and you. Nothing special. Just faithful in his devotion to the Lord. And because Simeon sought the Lord, he knew of the promises that God had made to his people. He was looking for the consolation of Israel, and that being a promise that was not necessarily specific to him. We know that that promise was made to all the nation of Israel. And we learn a little bit more about what that means, the consolation of Israel, in verse 26. At the very end, it says that he was promised by God that he would not see death before he had seen 
the Lord's Christ. So the consolation of Israel is the same thing as the Lord, seeing the Lord's Christ. Essentially, what it's saying is that Simeon was anticipating and looking forward to the fulfillment of God's promise to send the Messiah. A promise made to, to all of Israel, but he specifically told Simeon, you will not die until you see that day. That was the moment that he was waiting for. So when Joseph and Mary entered the temple that day with Jesus, Simeon knew. It was the day he'd been waiting for. And he knew it immediately. And if you're like me, you hear that and think, how? I mean, he was an old man, apparently nearing the time of death. That's why his anticipation was growing. He knew it had to be soon because he wasn't going to live much longer. So how many times had he been to the temple anticipating that day and it not happened? A hundred? Several thousand? And how many times had he seen firstborn sons committed to the Lord? That was a part of the the Jewish tradition based on the commandment of the Lord given in the law. Fifty? A hundred? A thousand? So how many times had he gone through this routine and yet the moment he saw Jesus he knew this was the one once again Simeon is an example I believe of who God wants us to be he was old and for all we know he probably didn't live much longer than this particular day he probably experienced all the ailments that come with old age, a, a failing body, failing health. He, he lived in a culture that was corrupt and immoral, both physically and, and spiritually. There was a lot for Simeon to complain about. There was a lot for Simeon to be distracted by. It was a dark world. But Simeon's eyes were bright. They were fixed on the promise of God's redemption. This is the moment he had been waiting for. You see, Simeon is an example of what we are called to be because he was living for the hope of tomorrow without being overwhelmed by the troubles of today because he was convinced of the faithfulness of God to fulfill the promise to bring redemption. That was the moment he was waiting for. So now let's look at what he had to say. Verse 29. So when he took this child, Jesus, into his arms, he blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you can let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother, Joseph and Mary, were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, the child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And the sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Simeon begins this 
uh, prayer before the Lord in humility. He doesn't take the privilege lightly. He goes before God humbly as a servant, a bondservant of the Lord. And God has shown him grace. And he was content in this prayer to, to die in peace is what he says, basically. Because he knows and believes that when he looked upon that promised Messiah, Jesus, that he could die in peace knowing that life had come to the world. Verse 30 says, my eyes have seen your salvation. What did his eyes see? Saw Jesus. And when he looked upon Jesus, he knew that he was looking into the eyes of salvation for the world. And I believe part of that peace was knowing that he needed that salvation as well. He could die in peace because life had come to him. His anticipation, in many ways, was based on his need. He was looking for a Savior. Why? Because Simeon knew he needed a Savior, just like anyone else. And from Simeon's testimony, we learn some very important things about who Christ is and what he came to do. The first thing we learn is that the promise of salvation is given to the world. That's why in verse 33 it says that his father and mother were amazed. Think about that statement now. Because we've looked at two birth announcements already. Mary and Joseph have been visited by an angel. They've been given the word of God about this child to be born. They knew that he was from the line of David, fulfilling the promise of the Messiah, that he had come to save his people from his sins. So they've seen some amazing things, have they not? And yet, when they hear from Simeon, they were even more amazed. Why is that? I believe it's because Simeon revealed that Jesus would bring salvation to the world. He would save his people from their sins, but his people were not restricted to the nation of Israel. It was Jew and Gentile alike. The scope of God's salvation was much bigger than Mary and Joseph, either one, had ever imagined. And that's why they were amazed. Because Simeon goes on to explain, he says, He will be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. That's what it says in verse 32 at the beginning. Jesus will be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. I want you to think just a minute about going into a dark room, okay? And you need a flashlight. Why? Because you need to be able to see things that are hidden in the darkness, right? You you need that light to reveal what exists there that you can't see otherwise. Well, Jesus is that light. He reveals a truth not previously known by the Gentiles. You don't need to turn there. Let me give you an example of how Paul explains this in his letter to the Ephesians. Listen to what he says. Speaking about the Gentiles, he says, Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles, in the flesh, who are called uncircumcised. In other words, you're not a part of God's chosen people based on that covenant right. Who are called uncircumcised by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, 
excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's what it looks like to be in the dark. And Jesus Christ came to shed light on the truth that salvation is being given to all mankind, whosoever believes. He's a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Jesus came to show us the way. To reveal things previously hidden. To make the promise of God known to all mankind. But it goes on, the second half of verse 32, it says that he will be the glory of his people Israel. It says that because Jesus is the glory of Israel because he's the Savior that has been promised to come from among the Jews. That was the promise of the Messiah from the very beginning. And we've learned from the announcements, haven't we? That he was from the line of David, from the tribe of Judah, a Savior who would save his people from their sins. That was the promise given to the nation of Israel, fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And it brings glory to them to have had the Messiah come from them to the world. A light of revelation to the Gentiles, the glory of his people Israel. Mary and Joseph were amazed because Simeon just expanded the scope of God's salvation in limitless terms. That's why John would write, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But Simeon goes on to reveal a harsh reality of this promise. And that is, not everyone will believe. Look at what he says in the beginning there in verse 34. It says, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. What Simeon is saying to Mary and Joseph and to you and I is that everything rises and falls on Jesus. Everything rises and falls on Jesus. To those who believe, he's a a source of divine redemption. He's a fulfillment of the promise made for the forgiveness of sins. To those who don't believe, Jesus is a stumbling block. He gets in the way of how people want to live their lives. But his truth is the basis on which all mankind will be judged. There's no neutral ground. He's either the rise of many into a new and eternal life or fall of those who fall into judgment for rejecting his truth. Everything rises and falls on Jesus. And then at the end of verse 35, look at that with me. It says, to this end, the thoughts in many hearts may be revealed. What you believe in your heart about who Christ is will one day be revealed. And even now, I think that truth is exposed. Like we see with Simeon, what you believe is evidenced by how you live. That's how it is exposed. What you believe is revealed in where you set your hope. If Jesus is going to be important to you then, he'll be important to you now. 
So with that in mind, I want to finish up with the question I asked you in the very beginning. What is the moment that you're waiting for? See, God promised that there would be a day when the promised Messiah would come, a Savior to the world. And here in a few days, when we celebrate Christmas, we are celebrating the promise fulfilled. That's what Christmas is all about. Jesus is the one who came to save us from our sins. And that salvation was accomplished on the cross. A perfect sacrifice, acceptable to God for the forgiveness of sins. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Through his death, we are given the gift of eternal life. And you're going to get some great things over Christmas, I'm sure, but there will be no gift that compares to the gift of eternal life. And so like Simeon, we should celebrate this truth. We should rejoice in the promise fulfilled. We should look at Christmas and realize that we are celebrating the day that the promised Messiah came and ultimately came to deliver us from sin, giving us the gift of eternal life. That's worth celebrating. He's our Emmanuel. God with us. So celebrate that. But we should go further. Let me remind you that God made you a promise very much like he made to Simeon. Because he promised that one day Christ will come again. Now whether that's in our lifetime or not, I don't know. But we can be assured that God has made a promise that one day Christ will come again. And my question to you is this. Are you living in anticipation of that day as Simeon lived in anticipation during his day? Is that the moment that you live for? Let me encourage us to consider this. As we look at the life of Simeon, I think there are three attributes that we'll look at that give evidence that you're living for that day. We see them in the life of Simeon, and I believe we'll see them in our life as well if that's the moment that we're living for. There are three. Let me give them to you up front. Faithful obedience, loving fellowship, undistracted hope. Those three things. Faithful obedience, loving fellowship, undistracted hope if that's the moment we're living for then those will be evident in our life you see when that day came Simeon simply wanted to be found faithful he was in the temple devoted to the Lord committed to worship he centered his life on the promises of God he aligned his heart based on the truth of God he was engaged in ministry whose heart was inclined to worship because his eyes were fixed on the anticipation for the day in which he would see Jesus he just wanted to be faithful and if you were living for that day the same would be true for you you don't necessarily want to strive to be extraordinary as if something you do merits some kind of favor no you just want to be faithful consistently committed to the Lord, faithful to his people, involved in a life of ministry, 
honoring God in all you do. That's what worship looks like. You just want to be found faithful. And if you are anticipating Christ's return, that will be true for you. But here's something that goes right next to that, and that is this. You can't be found faithful if you're not walking by the Spirit of God. Just like Simeon was, right? Galatians tells us, walk in the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Because this side of heaven, we cannot avoid the temptation towards the desires of the flesh. We are surrounded by them. We're surrounded by the lust of the flesh, the, the lust of the eyes, the, the sinful pride of life. I had a chance to speak to high school students at FCA this past week, and I told them, you live in a world of compromise. So if you're going to do something different, you're going to stand apart from everything that's going on around you. Because that's the culture you live in. So walking in the Spirit doesn't remove you from that temptation. But walking in the Spirit is what helps you stand up underneath it. It's what reveals to you the way out, as God promises. No temptation will come upon you, but that which is common to man. And God is faithful not to allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but in everything, provide a way out so that you might stand up underneath it. And that only happens when you're being led and guided by the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's when you see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. If your eyes are fixed on Jesus, that's what will be evident in your life. Faithful obedience, loving fellowship, and then finally, an undistracted hope. See, Simeon was old. His health was failing. The world around him was really falling apart. But he lived with a hope for tomorrow without being overwhelmed by the troubles of today. In our world, it doesn't take you very long to look around and see a lot that can be very discouraging. In many ways, our world is falling apart. For some, the holidays can be an especially difficult But let me encourage you. Don't lose sight of the promise. Jesus will come again. And he will make all things right. That is his promise. Jesus will come again. And he will make all things new. That's his promise. And in that day, there will be no sadness. There will be no sorrow. There will be no sin. Because it will have been destroyed completely and eternally. So that we can live in the presence of our loving Father for all eternity. Experiencing the fullness of the love that He has had for us. Before the world began. That's a promise. And so let me encourage you to live for that day. To anticipate the hope of that promise fulfilled. Be faithful, not extraordinary, just faithful. Walk in the Spirit. Realize that you cannot do this apart from Him. So abide in Christ. Seek to walk in fellowship of the Spirit, trusting in Him, and live with the hope of 
the promise fulfilled. Let's pray together. Father, I'm so grateful that when we come to this time of year, we can look at the promise that was fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ, that Messiah, that Savior who came to forgive our sins, becoming that perfect sacrifice, acceptable in the eyes of God, that Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Father, I pray that as we celebrate Christmas this year, we celebrate the gift of salvation that we receive when we put our faith and trust in Him. But I also pray in the midst of the celebration of that promise fulfilled, we are reminded of the promise that yet remains, that you will come again, that you will restore the world into the redemptive order that you planned it to be from the very beginning. That day, that promise will be fulfilled to make all things new. And so, in the midst of our celebration, may we turn our hearts to the hope that we have of your return. And may we live for that day being faithful, walking in fellowship, undistracted by the world around us, steadfast in our hope and faith and trust in you. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who came to save us from our sins, in whom we celebrate life. We pray this in his name. And all God's people said, amen. Have a Merry Christmas.